This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We're going to spend the hour today on the latest installment in our series focused on people's jobs. We've been talking to people about what they do and how they do it and why. We recently spent a few hours following Dr. Carlos Sanchez. He starts his day with a check-in with the other medical staff to get updates on their patients. All right. Um, I have my meeting with Heidi at one uh, to help us 12, and then a meeting with Kelly Gomez, too, to talk about tiger shipment, to talk about uh, hoof trimming in giraffe, and to talk about wild dogs going to Colombia. So it's a pretty big team meeting. All right. Clinics for the day. We um, had to pretty much move everything for next week. So we'll just uh, be ready for emergencies today. Update on important cases. You want to give us a summary on the uh, procedure from yesterday? So we did uh, PMP exams on two alligator lizards. So we had Al, the northern alligator lizard. Um, we didn't find anything exciting on his exam, and he was apparently healthy. Um, we do have CT of his whole body sent out for a report that we're going to wait to come back. Um, and then we also did an exam on Betty, the red-backed alligator lizard. She also had a very unremarkable exam, apparently healthy, um, and we also have a CT sent out on her. And the other thing that uh, we did yesterday is did a visual on the uh, juvenile female bontebot called Tutula because of our reported overgrown hooves. And yeah, Carlos Sanchez is a head veterinarian at the Oregon Zoo. Together with the rest of the veterinary team and the zookeepers, he takes care of all of the animals in the largest zoo in the state. So we have over a thousand animals without taking into account fish. So, and we have everything from little lizards, like the one that they, uh, we were talking this morning that just got a PMP or a routine exam to elephants. So in any given day, we can actually see, you know, a small bird or an elephant for anything, maybe it's just a little boo-boo, or maybe it's just a cod, or maybe it's just something that, hey, we're just checking how are they doing. Like what we're gonna do with the elephants today is our routine visit. You know, there's nothing wrong really, but we just go there and talk to the keepers. Why? It creates a very good um, teamwork uh, with the keepers. So they, it's not like they only see the vet when the animal is sick. Is there such thing as an average day no, and I like that you asked that question because I always say that the most interesting part of my job is that routine is never routine. So even if we have a schedule for procedures, because the way that we divided the duties for the veterinarian team is that there is a veterinarian doing what we call elective procedures, which is basically like routine checkups, right? Like like humans go to the doctor every year or two years. Some animals have to go to the doctor every year or two years, and a veterinarian has to do that. Well, the other one is uh, responding to what we call any emergency or any concern. But it turns out that knowing when there's reason for concern is actually a big challenge. We got to remember these are, um, although they live in a zoo under uh, human care, they are wild animals and they do tend to hide disease. In the wild, you know, an animal that is sick is not going to make it. It will be prey, it will be abandoned, it will be, you know, gone soon. So they tend to mask disease. And a lot of our animals do not show any sign of disease until it's pretty advanced. Or it's, a, it's an evolutionary advantage to, to hide it. Exactly. So they are not eating. They're not the first one eating on, you know, by the lions or by a tiger. And so, but makes our, our work a little harder. A, they 
don't talk to us. They don't tell us where it's hurting. But then also, if there is something serious inside, we sometimes do not see any clinical signs until it's pretty advanced. And then, you know, we are actually running against time because the process has been advanced. And that is part of why we do these routine checkups. We call these routine checkups PMPs or preventive medicine program. On the day we visited, Dr. Carlos's first PMP was with the elephants. He said that the layout of the enclosure was designed with their health in mind. One of the beauties of the um, of the new exhibit uh, that we have is that they have a lot of uh, room to walk around and to explore. And, you know, there's the same exhibit. As you can see, there's different gradients so they can go up and down. And it's also, you know, people do not know, but they also change the the weight on the paw. So it's, it's, if it was flat, it's always the same, you know, distribution of weight. But because the way it is, is there is, you know, there is an inclination and there is like, you know, mounds, then basically the elephant uh, weight just kind of shifts. And so that helps with the health of their feet. And am I right that foot health is, is one of the most important, most challenging aspects of life in zoos for elephants? Well, you know, they, they have to be a constant. So I always say, like to say um, we, our keepers do a phenomenal job. They do basically a pedicure once a week. Like not even people get that level of care. So they train the elephants to show the nail with positive reinforcement. So all that stuff gets done with, uh, with positive reinforcement. So this is, you know, one of my favorite patients here. Uh, this is Chandra. She's a Bornean elephant. Um, she is a beauty. She's very hairy, and we like that. Um, yeah, so we'll follow Gilbert. Um, Gilbert, do you mind telling me who you are? Uh, Gilbert Gomez. I'm one of the elephant keepers. Okay. Good to meet you. I'm Dave. Nice meeting you. Good girl. Is she eating some yams right now? Or is she, she, there's a bucket here. Potatoes. Good. Steady. So when we do an exam or we want to do an exam, we actually can come here and, and these guys line her up and then we can basically, um, you know, ask them, is there anything that we need to look at it, check it. And, you know, even when there is nothing wrong, it's good for us to come here so the elephant knows, oh, you know, this guy's not going to poke me. This guy's okay. Um, and, you know, actually we'd like to have that relation not only with the keepers but with the animals too. Turn your trumpet! Trumpet! Come on, trumpet! Come in, good girl! Trumpet! Good girl, Tuna! Good girl! Good job! Tuna, speak! Good girl! Speak! Good girl! So as you can see, the relation between the keeper and the elephant is amazing, right? And the same way we need to look at her eyes, she would let us because they are training her for that. We want to look at her ear or her mouth. You know, they can say open mouth and she would show us her mouth. And pretty much that is part of the work that we like to do with the keepers. And, you know, we, we want a new behavior. We'd say, hey, you know, Gilbert, we would like to do this in a month. And it's like, okay, we'll do it. Like radiographs of something. They train it, and so we don't have to sedate them. Everything is relatively a good experience for the animals and do not resent anything. So we, we like to have that, you know, good rapport with the keepers and the animals. Man, you mentioned that every now and then you just want to be able to touch an elephant's yeah. skin. I mean, it's... Amy, can can I can I can you line her up and I maybe touch her? Yeah. Tender leaning. 
So believe it or not, some of our elephants sometimes have a little bit of an allergy to like a bee sting or something, and they create a little bit of hive. So, um, you know, we can come here and say like, oh, okay, let me torture and torture and then feel if there is any lumps. Right now there is none, but we sometimes see these hives and and we can see that, um, you know, and, and their skin is pretty, pretty interesting because although it's thick, you know, the layer, the, the most superficial layer is not. You can actually pinch it. So. Can I, can I touch her? Can, can we touch her? Yes. It's okay. <sighs> See, wow. it's just very unique. And he's softer sort of than you think. It's soft, but there's, but there's a coarse hair. Yes. Wow. That way if she leans in, yeah. he doesn't get pinched. You said it's important that she has hairs. It's good. Why is that? Well, in this case, she's a hairy, you know, they protect themselves from the sun. Sometimes we can also, you know, in this case, uh, you know, you can see she has hairy ears. And in this subspecies is more hairy than the, um, you know, the other Asian elephants. And and for her, you know, also it's distinctive. So we can easily tell where is Chandra, you know, what is what is she doing? And she, you know, she likes to be checked by the vet. She doesn't have a, any problem. We try to go there at least every week. One of the veterinarians, they all rotate. So the keepers know all the vets. The elephants know all the vets. And we always follow the directions of the keepers. They are our eyes. They are the people who say, you know, she's a little grumpy today. Maybe maybe stay back. You know, normally with her is not the case, but they know the animals better than we do. But it's funny because, like, even when you check it, I mean, they're such a big animals that, you know, I always keep a look in my and my feet because I don't check them like this because by accident she can step on me so I always do this and I'm always very conscious that I'm doing this when I'm you know doing an exam so it is not by accident she doesn't want to hurt me but if it's by any chance she stepped on me I mean she weighs you know over a thousand kilograms so this is the little things that you learn with age you know like she's trying to to be safe too ha have you been injured over the course of your career not severely injured. I got bitten by a monkey many years ago at Mexico City Zoo. And one time, the funny um, story about uh, my interaction with an elephant, we had a, a, a baby elephant at National Zoo when I was there. And then the female developed a little bit of what we call edema on her bedroom. So I was checking her and I'm between her legs. And we, at that time, we had what we call free contact, meaning we would go enter with the elephants. And that was something routine for many zoos. And I'm checking checking on their, on their need, and I always tell the keepers, let me know if you think she's going to kick me or something. So I'm checking, you know, that skin, and one of the keepers like, watch out. So I'm looking at what leg she's going to kick me with, or she's moving, and she just defecates, and the bolus of the head just hits me in the head, and it, <laughs> you know, the fecal bolus just, like, hurt my neck. I had to go to the doctor, actually. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I don't know if you want that on, t on the radio. But. I, I absolutely do want that on the radio. Um, I can hear it on the radio right now. I, so I thought this was going to be a, a story about something that was gross, but you got injured by the mass oh, of, the an, of elephant's of, poop a, a big landing poop on your head. On the top of my head, and because I wasn't ready... It just basically hurt my neck. So <laughs> next day I'm like, yeah, I do got to go to the doctor. And it just was unexpected. But I mean, you see, it's just like a bigger than a football. Right. You know, and it is heavy. I mean, it's solid. Um, so yeah, and obviously I had to take a shower too. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Amy Gilbert. Appreciate it. Good girl. Good job. Of course I got one. Good job.
At one point, I asked Dr. Carlos about his origin story as a vet. It went back to his childhood. When people ask me, do you always want it to be a zoo vet, which is a zoo veterinarian? I say, yes, my story is uh, a little cheesy. Everybody, you know, that is in this field love animals. And I love animals. My mom always taught us to love animals. We have always had dogs at home. And so Mexico City Zoo, where I was uh, born and, and grew up, uh, had the first giant panda born outside China. And uh, obviously he, he was a celebrity. Songs and everybody was there. So finally, when they unveiled the panda and public could go to the zoo, I was a kid and my mom took us there. It's a free zoo. At the time, it's a city with 12 million people. So they were uh, basically closing the zoo at 100,000 people per day. And it was insane. And I remember, as, as if it was yesterday, we probably were online for three or four hours just with my mom, my, my, my sister, and my brother, uh, which he was a baby, and just walking to see the panda and you know the police there is like move 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 everybody wants to see the panda and I you know saw this panda for like 25 seconds <laughs> and I like oh my god look at that and I just walk and move 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 and I was like oh my, I want to work with these animals right like I do want to work um, at this zoo I want to work with pandas and I've been lucky enough that I ended up working at that zoo and I ended up actually um, being one of the doctors for that giant panda uh, Towi or Towa, uh, because ended up being a female, not a male. And, um, you know, I took care of that animal for five years. Wow. And then I had been involved with giant pandas uh, on me on my residency in the Smithsonian. And so I work at the zoo and I work with the pandas. And that's why you see my office is full of pandas, because I have a, a special relation with them. How accurate was your dream uh, when now you're, you're living the reality. I mean, you've achieved what you wanted as an eight-year-old or whatever, which not most people can't say that. Um, d- how accurate was your conception of what the job would be? Um, I think it was close in the sense that it's a super satisfying job. You know, again, working with my dream animal, a giant panda, being able to go to China multiple times to train the veterinarians at the Chengdu Panda Base and work with 15, 20, 40 giant pandas. So that that part of the dream, uh, to be a doctor that can actually improve the lives of these animals, to challenge and, and study, I think that part was very accurate. What I wasn't prepared for is sometimes, it is um, it's a tough job sometimes. And when I teach a class called Career Path um, for, for the veterinary students that want to go into this field, and I tell them, you know, this is one of the most rewarding jobs you can have. I mean, it's never routine. You sometimes are out. Sometimes you're doing surgery. Because as I told you, we are the ultimate generalists. We do a little bit of everything. So that is very rewarding. You don't get bored. And the highs are very high. You know, like um, we had a, a giant panda born a National Zoo during, you know, my time there. And I mean, it was a dream come true. But the lows can be very low too, you know. And What are the lows? So... <sighs> You know, losing a patient in which you uh, put so much work and you just couldn't figure it out. And, you know, an example was uh, Lily, the elephant calf that we had here that we lost in 2018 to EHB, which is a viral disease with a mortality rate of 84%. That is the number one cause of death of elephant calves in the world. And when we lost Lily, it was devastating. And still to this day, it is hard for me to talk about it. Um, and we try everything that was available at the time. And it's still 
still five years later, we still don't fully understand, you know, this virus. So um, those are the parts that will break your heart. And they happen, you know, if you lose an animal or anesthesia or you lose a patient or, you know, we have patients that we have worked with for 10, 15 years, even if they're healthy, but there is a point in which just like us, they get old. How do you think about your emotional connections to these animals? And, and I guess I'm wondering if you ever... Uh, as time goes on, if you purposefully create more of a distance because of the loss that you're talking about? Uh, that's a very good question because as, as we grow up, you know, I think you start protecting yourself a little bit and exactly what you do. And I thought I was immune, you know, when, when we lost Lily at that point, you know, I've been working in this field for 20 years. I had a lot of experience. I have had the, the highest highs and some lows. And I thought, well, you know, I, I am detached. I, I am a doctor. I need to be, you know, focused on what I do. But that was a tough case in the sense that we really try hard. And, it, it, you know, the way that this disease works, it's a pretty fast disease. So within 48, 72 hours, you lose a patient. And so it was, you know, it didn't even give me time to process my distance. And, you know, when, when she died, I just, you know, the keepers lost it. I lost it. It was just uh, very emotional. And so you basically train yourself um, to, to say, okay, it is a patient, you know, it's an animal, I'm doing my best, but it's impossible not to get attached to. You know, here I have a special collection with Chloe, our very old chimpanzee. She likes me a lot, and I like her too because she likes me, but, she, but she's old. And now I feel a very special connection with her. And I know the day that, you know, the time comes, whether I'm here or not, I, I know I'm going to feel it because it's impossible not to have a relation with an animal that you are so connected with. So we headed off to see the special relationship that Dr. Carlos has with Chloe and with Jackson, another chimp at the zoo. He happened to be healing from an injury. Primate keepers from Vet Carlos. Hey, we are here outside. So this is Jackson. And that's Chloe. And for her to come here, it's pretty good. It's normal. Can you, can you tell us about Jackson? So Jackson is, uh, uh, you know, 51-year-old, which is, you know, advanced age, uh, long-term resident from the Oregon Zoo. And, you know, one of the probably most challenging species or animals to work with as a zoo vet are apes. They're very smart, you know, and if you do something mean to them, whether it's a dart or something, they will remember that. So we try to create a very good relation with them. So the vets come here every Monday to just, you know, treat them feed and uh, feed them treats or give them something so they know that there is no negative interaction with them. So, so you have to spend more time with them than most other animals in the zoo. Yes. On a regular basis where you're not sticking them with needles. Exactly. And I come here also, you know, helps me to talk to the keepers and, you know, learn if there is any issue with any other animal or not or how is everybody doing. So we're now seeing a Chloe and Jackson. Chloe is the oldest of our chimpanzees. You can tell she's small. Jackson! Jackson! And sometimes he displays, right, buddy? Hey, buddy! So, but he's not aggressive. He's not being trying to intimidate me. He's not trying to challenge me. 
So even like by watching them from distance, we evaluate how's their gait, you know, like she's on Chloe's and some medication because she's getting stiff at advanced age with some probably like, you know, a little bit of arthritis. So we have her on medications that will be used in humans that age. And then we look at Jackson and see, is he doing okay? He does have some battle wounds, you know, from, you know, some interactions with other chimpanzees. And that is why, but you know, see, they, they love each other and they like each other and they like to hug. So, uh-huh. so Chloe is um, is hugging. Who is she hugging right now? Chloe is hugging Daisy, and and they're kissing each other too, which is very sweet. This is our fantastic keeper, Anna. Hi, what's your name? Hannah. Hannah, I'm Dave. Nice to meet Hi, you. Nice to meet you. And Daisy is one of the chimpanzees that arrived a little bit over a year ago uh, from the East Coast. And so it's a group, a new group of chimpanzees that came. And so, you know, for Chloe to be this uh, loving with um, her, it's, it's great because it's not an animal that she has to spend most of her life with. And that's Delilah. And that, you know, Delilah, Jackson and Chloe have been together for a long time. Jackson! And is there a reason you want to get Jackson's attention today? Well, we are looking into um, a couple of his uh, battle wounds and be sure that they're healing well. We just finished a course of antibiotic. So we decided not to immobilize him to take care of those wounds because they weren't as severe as we thought. But we also don't like them to get infected. So we just finished a course of antibiotics and we wanted to be sure that the wound is looking good, that we don't have to have any more medication. So I'm evaluating his, what we call him, his ambulations, his movements. And is he walking normally? He's putting weight on that foot. Is he, you know, interacting with other animals? Is eating? So I'm looking at him walking. He seems to be walking okay. He's responding to Hannah's, our keepers, um, you know, call. And we'll see if he comes here and, you know, wants to take treats. It does look like Chloe and her friend have come to get some treats that are intended for Jackson. Now, he, now he, he's here now. He's here now. So he's there and you can that, see. What are they drinking? So it's diluted apple juice and we try not to give him a lot of sugars, you know, just to keep him healthy. And so we're trying to, so we talk to the keepers and ask them, hey, how are we doing? He's showing his food. That's his injured food. And so we can tell, okay, the wound is healing well. We are not seeing any inflammation. We're not seeing any pause. He's trying to show different things. See, like he's showing, he's going to show his ear. There we go. Wow. You know, and then he gets a little bit of juice. He can show his hand. He's shown his feet. Um, you know, they are able to take temperatures. He's like trained to show the shoulder. That's for injections. So we want to inject them. And then they're asking him to uh, turn around, hand up, his belly. So he's, you know, trying to show his belly. So, you know, the keepers can, can palpate it. And they actually trained to do cardiac ultrasound awake. So they put their chest against the mesh and we put a probe and then we can see cardiac function because cardiac disease in chimpanzees is very common. Uh, so it's something that we do as a routine. And now Chloe wants some juice too. So he's showing us the affected foot. See, this foot is Oh yeah, he's injured. putting his foot up against the yep. fence now. I don't know if you're able now. to see it, Dr. Carlos, but it looks really good. It looks good. Do any ch- discharge or any um, inflammation? So. Um, the affected part of the, like the top part of the foot looks really clean and dry. It's just this bottom part, um, by his little, uh, where his little toe was. It is just a little bit wet, but otherwise it looks like it's really cleaning up well. It's drying up and, um, yeah, he's not bothering it. He's leaving it alone. The other chimps aren't bothering bothering it, which is usually the issue. (laughs) 
they'll try to help and they'll groom it. Um, but yeah, he's been doing really well and he's been taking his meds really well too. And, and so, you know, we, we are a team trying to get him to heal. So they tell us, you know, it does look like he's uncomfortable. It looks like there is discharge, there is bleeding, there is pus. Or, and then we take action. And then, again, they see him all the time. They know him better. And even like him taking his meds is great. Uh, so showing his affected food, he was, you know, a little painful. He will not let him touch it. So, you know, it is important that uh, we hear what they think about the wound. And then we, we make a decision based on also. So what is their um, opinion on that? Jackson. And he sometimes gets so excited when we're here that he starts displaying and, and you're making a little bit of noise. But he's being quiet today. He's shy, camera shy. That's okay. Well, he's Chloe's become a not. little impatient. Yes. He's like, this is usually the Chloe show. So. Yes, it's like, I mean, why are you guys focusing on Jackson? I, mean, I am the style. diva. Chloe loves Dr. Carlos. Every time Dr. Carlos comes over, it doesn't matter what she's doing, she gets up and comes over and has to say hi. Um, so we love when Dr. Carlos comes because oftentimes it just gets her up and going and um, starting her day. So if we need her to get up in the morning, we're like, Dr. Carlos, want to come and do a visit? Are you jealous of Dr. Carlos? Um, in his relationship with her, sometimes, yes, because um, they, they get along really well. It's actually really great. We want the animals to get along well with the vets and to trust them. Um, we see them every day, so it's not as bad as she you know, doesn't want to come over to me, but we really need them to trust the vets and to not be afraid of them. So that relationship is like vital to their health, especially as they get older. So, yes, Chloe, We're I know about you, girl. I know we are. She's I know she knows. She knows. She knows. She they understand a lot, a lot more than I think we give them credit for. After the chimps, we headed to a different part of the zoo to see more patients. It gave me a chance to ask more about Dr. Carlos's professional journey. I understand that you were the first person from Latin America to get into a, a U.S. zoo medicine residency program. Into a, Yes, exactly. So in 2000, I became the first Latin American ever to be accepted. What did that mean to you? Whoa. It was... A huge responsibility, I'm not going to lie, uh, when I learned that. I didn't know that, but I start kind of a, getting a, an idea how hard it was going to be when most people told me, you know you're not going to get it, right? And I'm like, okay, but I'm still going to try. And it's like, you shouldn't even bother, um, you know, applying. And I was like, well, I am going to do it. And when I applied to National Zoo, that's one of the most competitive programs. It's like, they have never taken somebody that is not from the U.S. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I will give it a shot. Oh, not even just n not from Mexico or Colombia, but anywhere, anywhere in that in the, specific program. In the country, anywhere in the world. In that specific wow. program, yes. And so... The long story short is that I ended up at National Zoo doing a three-year um, advanced training in zoo medicine, and then they offered me a fellowship for a year, so I ended up doing four years. Um, yeah, it was a lot of pressure to be able to perform well and leave the door open for other Latin Americans. Oh, the pressure was that you thought that if, if, I don't if you do didn't well, do well, it would then, then the, the I mean, next person That's what applied. it was in my mind. You right. know, it's like, yeah, we gave it a shot. Maybe not work. Yeah. So but they would me, generalize the lesson. Yeah. And we all do a little bit of yeah. that, right? And so I was like, I had to, to do super well. 
And I think I did in the sense that they kept me there after I finished. They offered me a job and I stayed there for six years as a first as a veterinarian, then as a supervisor veterinarian. And um, and I know for there has been few more Mexicans and Latin Americans accepted after me. I didn't imagine how difficult it would be to be a zoo vet. I mean, you can be a vet, but then to be a, a zoo vet is actually rather difficult. And, and in the United States, particularly for an immigrant, it is harder because, you know, I had to learn veterinary English, not just English, but veterinary English. And then uh, just basically uh, validate all my studies that I in Mexico do a series of exams. And, and, but at the end of the day, you know, I can look back and say, oh, oh, it's worth it. How do you think about the humans who come to the zoo? I mean, your your focus is on your patients, yes, who are the animals. But now, it, I mean, we, when we arrived, it was before opening time, yes. so, we, so we could talk. And now there are families walking around who have come to just look look at all your animals. I'm just, what's your relationship with the humans like? Uh, you know, I like to, if I happen to be looking at an animal for whatever reason, and there is a group of people, I do like to uh, show them some facts and tell them some facts. And then they see my badge and it's like, oh, are you one of the doctors here? And they're like, yes. And then they have questions. And I, I really love explaining them because what we do, the veterinarians for the most part in any zoo, is behind the scenes. People do not even know that we have probably one of the best hospitals in any zoo in the country. You can see it from here and it's super beautiful, but inside is not only beautiful, it's practical. We have all the tools that you would have in a human hospital to do diagnosis, CT scan and everything, but people do not know that. So I like to educate them a little bit and, and tell them what we do here and why. And I think the misconception is that, oh, animal gets sick. I always tell people, a zoo is like a city. You know, we have elderly citizens. We have citizens that may not do well. We have infants. We have, you know, all these kind of people with different habits and they eat something different. And for me, I see it like that and I like to teach them and say, yeah, you know, there was a little bit of a fight here, just like sometimes people get into arguments and now we're watching this situation. And so I actually like to teach people and particularly when you see somebody interested in the job we do. When you are just going around in the world uh, on vacation or just like walking around in the streets of Portland, are you paying attention to wild animals? I mean, if you look at a squirrel, do you think, oh, it, it has a problem with its foot? Yes, you, you know exactly how we think. And it's not only that, you know, in my apartment, sometimes I see, you know, an, another person coming out from their, their condo and I see the dog and I'm like, oh, this dog has hip dysplasia. You know, I don't say anything because it's not my place. However, some of them, they figure out that I'm a vet here and they're like, oh, I know you know these dogs, but what do you think? I'm like, I think you need to take it to the vet because it seems like that hip is not good. But you're right. I mean, sometimes we see animals here and it's like, oh my God, that squirrel has an abscess on his face. You know, we, this is one of the things that we notice right away. We just, we're vets full time. That's Carlos Sanchez, the head veterinarian of the Oregon Zoo. We'll have more from our visit with him, including polar bears, penguins, goats, and his favorite animals to take care of after a short break. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. If you're just tuning in, we're spending the day at the zoo. 
Not too long ago, we went to the Oregon Zoo to basically see a day in the life of Carlos Sanchez. He is the head veterinarian there. As he put it, that means taking care of over a thousand animals, not including the fish. At one point on our tour, he stopped to point out the home of Amelia and Nora, the zoo's polar bears. Yeah, this is a super nice habitat for the polar bears, and they do have choice. So they can go inside, they can go outside, they can go into the other habitat. And that's, you know, the part that is sometimes fun because now she's there and she's exploring the other top with also probably a lot of ice. And then she's eating ice, just chewing on it, keeping herself cool. And then some probably some treats inside the ice because she's definitely very uh, interested in staying in the pool. So, I mean, there could be sardines floating in the sardines, ice cubes. pieces of salmon, sometimes um, fat. Now, the, these polar bears are very unique, and I call them the, uh, the, the Portland polar bears because they love lettuce, iceberg lettuce. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That's how they used to train them. Huh. Like Sometimes we offer them like pieces of meat, and they're like, no, I, I want that lettuce. So it's like, oh, my God, they're living in Portland, of course. Wow. Plant-based so, yes. polar bears. Exactly. They're vegetarian polar bears. Yeah. And they do love it, and that's how, actually I mean, but what they, they don't use. They, they need fat, right? I mean, They do, and they do eat a lot of fish. They love salmon and other fish. But the treat that they use to train them is the lettuce, iceberg lettuce. <laughs> yes. And, and yeah, you can tell they respond very well to it. You'll know they're real Portlanders when they, you know, hold their nose at iceberg and say, I want kale. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're on the, um, to the penguinarium. So something that we have been doing with the penguins is trying to do the preventive medicine program exams, the routine exams. And so we had a list of 15 penguins that needed to be looked this year. And we look at most of them, but there were few that were into molting. And that's basically, you know, like shedding the old feathers and getting new ones. And they do get a little grumpy when they sometimes, you know, molt. Sometimes they just don't cooperate with the keepers well so we decided to hold on in a couple of the penguins exams until we're due completely with the malt and so we're gonna you know check on them and see where we are at and if so maybe we can schedule exams for in a very close future hello hey marcus how are you doing this is marcus supervisor in this area how's everybody marcus Oh, well, so far today, yeah. So, the two penguins that we didn't do the PMPs exams, which ones are those? Those left to do are Vato and uh, Linus. Okay, and how are those penguins? Are they done with the... Uh... They are done with their annual molt, yes. Excellent. Are they nearby? No. Uh, she's out there feeding right now. That's Jill, and she is wrapping up a little bit. Is that the chick? No, uh, the chicks are this there. one yes. here. Yes. yes. What kind of penguins are these? These are Humboldt penguins. Uh, this chick was hatched here. What three months ago? Uh, we're yeah, we're about three months old now. Yeah, you can tell that they, they, you know, the feather coloration is different from the adults. But the size um, is almost the same. They grow up quick. <laughs> they have to out there in the wild. It's, it's a dangerous world for a penguin. 
Yeah, yeah. Here they have it easy, but there they have to grow up fast. But you can see the colors between an adult and the chick. Less, it is more grayish than black, and then the white is still not as white. And then his his head looks a little smaller than the other ones. There, there's an entire tub of fish there, but they're waiting to be fed by hand. Is that just because they're they're so well behaved? Why, why aren't they just sticking their faces? in the tub of fish. That's the relationships that we need to build with these birds in order to maintain a quality of life. It's, it's health exams, it's um, physical exams to make sure that these birds are healthy. We need to be able to interact with these birds on a, on a daily basis. We need to be a factor in their lives in order for us to be able to make sure that they have, they thrive. And they trust the keepers, you know, they trust that they will get food and they don't need to steal the food. All right, we'll get those scheduled, yes, and we're done for at least this year. Thank you. No, thank you, guys. So the way you described it, one of the best tools you have for knowing how an animal is doing is talking to the humans who spend all their days with them. Exactly. But still, unlike humans... Uh, you, an animal's not going to say, this is why I'm not eating, or, or uh, this is why it hurts here. This is a lot of detective work, right? Internal medicine is start putting together the clinical signs that the animal give you, whether it's one or ten, and they could be what we call non-specific. So, not eating. Okay, well, it's not eating, but it could be anything, right? That's a non-specific clinical science. Then we, as you say, you use the keepers as our translators, right? They tell us, um, it's not only that he's been sleeping a little more or the animal has been, you know, acting a little off with his partner. And that actually give us some clues. And then we start formulating what we call a list of differential diagnosis. What could possibly be happening? And then we formulate a list of what tests we need to do. Because remember, some of these animals, even if they don't hate us because we do spend time with them, they're not going to let me go in and open them out of the tiger, right? So we need to immobilize them. Now, the keepers can train the animal to open the mouth to a certain degree. But if I see a lesion in the back of the mouth, nobody's going to put their hand there, right? Into so, the tiger. Correct. Yeah. So it's still pretty dangerous. And so we need to decide, is it worth the immobilization, which is the anesthesia of the animal with the associated risk, to, is it worth it to do all these um, diagnostics? And all these are discussions we have with the keepers, with the managers, with the veterinarians, with the groups saying, yes, we need to do this based, or we'll just put in on three days ibuprofen and see how it does. And maybe it results and we just keep notes, resolve on its own, maybe just, you know, uh, twist an ankle or something. It wasn't nothing major. But that is where it is challenging because it's all about an, a risk assessment, right? Is, is it worth anesthetizing a lion that weighs 600 kilograms and you have to transport him to the hospital? This is a dangerous animal, right? And the anesthesia, my definition of anesthesia is the long periods of boredom interrupted by moments of panic, right? Because they start getting light or they start getting too deep. You cannot lose the patient, but you also need to be mindful that you have a team in the room that 
you know, they are your colleagues, they are your keepers, they are your, you know, the team that you work with, and you cannot have a lion wake up in the middle of a procedure. And it could happen, you know, anesthesia has a half time, right? And then you need to supplement. And it, all these is what it makes our job very challenging, but at the same time, very exciting. In the sense, you know, anesthetizing a lion is very different than anesthetizing a chimpanzee or a bird or a fish. And we do all this with... Um, the objective to try to improve their quality of life and, as a result, their animal welfare. All right, what's next? We're going to be checking um, a goat TB test. So this goat uh, had her routine exam. That's like what we do every year, and then get uh, tuberculosis testing. So we just need to, um, you know, check it, be sure that it's negative, and once it's negative, then that exam is, is resolved. It's also a regulatory test, so we have to do it, and you know we try to do it on time, so there is no issue, so that's what we're doing today. So as you can see, we also have few domestic animals, and that's what we call domestic animals. They're program animals. We have goats, we have rabbits, uh, you know, we have guinea pigs, we have some tortoise, which are not domestic, but we also take care of, of those animals. Uh, so we're not completely doing only zoo animals, you know, sometimes they call us in the rabbit is having this issue, or, you know, like today, the goat. And we do actually like it. Sometimes we joke that, you know, it's nice to work with animals that do not want to kill you. Uh, <laughs> however, you saw the relation with the chimps is great and with the elephant. But, you know, in general terms, not every zoo vet has this relation with, with their patients. Knock, knock. Hey, cat. Awesome. So she's a good animal. She has big ears. Hey, girly girl. How are you? What happened to your ears? Don't be silly. Okay. Okay. Don't be silly. So what I'm doing is basically touching the skin, looking at the skin, and looking if there is any reaction of the injection that was given to her to determine if she's a, a reactor and everything looks good, it's negative. It doesn't really take that long, but some animals do not like to be touching that area, right? Because she's close to her butt. But, you know, she did really well. She's kind of like freeze. But other than that, you know, she's like, what, what, what are you doing? What, what's happening here? But um, she got her exam and it looks, it looks pretty normal. How's everybody else doing? Good. Do we want to put him back with the group? Yeah. Oh, no, we got a runner. Escape! They're wondering what's going on. Where is Sonia? What happened? What did you guys do to her? <laughs> does she have TB? She does not. She does not. She's the, healthy, the guys. The test was negative. These are fun animals to work with. I actually like working with goats. Uh, you can see they, they have a lot of personality. They're fun. And the kids love them. Do you have favorite animals here? I do. I love the rhinos. Black rhinos have always been kind of my second top along with giant pandas that we don't have here. But I love rhinos. I think they are, you know, I always say they are like a safe box with legs. <laughs> they are massive there, but they are also super smart. And for me, it kind of hits all the uh, points. They are 
you know, strong animals, they're beautiful, uh, but also they do represent challenge from the medical point of view. And I am attracted to species that have, uh, you know, conditions that are harder to diagnose or animals that are harder to anesthetize. It's just kind of my mind. I like the challenge. It turns out that one of the many challenges in taking care of black rhinos is finding the right equipment because no one sells medical gear that is specifically made for these massive animals. We do dental examinations on black rhinos. We don't all animals, but we know one of the main considerations to have black rhinos is that you have to be on top of dental health in this species. So when we have the opportunity to immobilize a rhino for whatever reason, we're very methodical into looking into their mouths. And then if we need to do more f- work that is more specialized, then we call Dr. Lauder, which is the rhino dentist. That's how he's, he's known for <laughs> All around the country. All around the country. He flies there. He has equipment that he's made himself, specialized huh. to like extract molars of a rhino. Wow. So uh, the way that we open them out of a rhino or an elephant when they are immobilized is with a car jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we also have to be, uh, you know, improvise and, and try to figure out how we're going to do these when we don't have the tools. So yeah, a car jack, you just put them back gently open them out, and then you can work inside the mouth. Wow. Because otherwise you don't have enough space. Our last stop of the day, as luck would have it, was to visit Vet Carlos's favorite animals. So we have two rhinos. Um, we have King and uh, Josie. And they came, I think, over a year ago from two different zoos. And they, you know, it's always a little bit nerve-wracking when you introduce two massive animals that could potentially be not liking each other. And it's just, just chance, right? Sometimes it's just chance. And, you know, a lot of it's chemistry, like people, right? right? Like you get along with some people, you sometimes do not. But these two got along really well. There was a lot of work that the keepers did prior to putting like together. So it's what we call howdy cage interest, right? Between two different stalls, they smell each other for weeks, they saw each other, you know, they smell their, their urine and everything just to try to know this, there's another rhino next to you. And it's very interesting because the, they are, their personalities are very different. So King is the male, but he is not the king. She's the queen. So he is literally like a puppy. He's a very well-educated animal. You can scratch him, you can touch him, you can like, like pinch his cheeks. Uh, she is a handful. She is a handful. Even during the the trouble that she had from uh, a zoo in the Midwest to us, I mean, she wasn't very happy. She's uh, bigger than he is too. Yes, right now she is. So we were always afraid if the male is dominant and they are bigger than the females, is it going to hurt her? But as soon as we saw her temperament, it was like, oh, she's going to be the boss. And she is the boss. So intros were, you know, a little scuffle here and there, but nothing major for an animal that it's impossible to stop. And they get along well. They, you know, now actually love each other. And I can say that because they don't like to be apart. And, you know, they spend time together. And, you know, you can see there is really like no antagonistic, uh, you know, any any interaction. So, but she has calmed down a lot. And I think having him there, it helped. He has helped 
because he is super mellow. The hope is that we, um, you know, they actually breed and have a, a calf. We're we're hoping. We'll see. You know, they they arrived here a little bit over a year ago. What are you seeing right now, just in terms of of health? What are you paying attention to? I mean, and we're we're thirty feet away, so they're doing well. But we now I'm looking at contour, and I can actually see is there any lumps or bumps? That's how you know the colloquial term. Is there that could be suggestive of an abscess? Is he walking normally or not? Is he, you know? Um, having some lameness i can see his face i can see and then you know i ask the keepers how how they eating because as i mentioned earlier they have dental disease not these animals but black rhinos tend to have you know some uh, problems with dental disease so the first thing you see is like dropping food but so far so good we did exams on both of them um a year ago or so and they you know they look beautiful yeah, when we did the uh, the exam on uh, Josie, the keeper's colors, and there was some blood on the walls, and I was like, "That's not normal." And you don't see, you know, what's where it's coming from, you know, because sometimes, you know, she was very nervous, like did she hit something? They call us next day. I think she has a, a bug on her nose. So I came here. And, oh, she had a mass on her nose. And black rhinos, other disease that no other rhino presents is called eosinophilic granuloma, which is basically a mass that is caused by an allergy to something. And only black rhino presents, and it presents in the mouth, or on the nose, or on the genitals. And so we knew what we needed to do, but immobilizing her is not an easy task. We have like 25, 30 people helping us to rotate her to the side just so she was in a good position. Once we had her down in a good position, mats underneath because otherwise they get a lot of pressure on the limbs, it was not hard. We just do a cryosurgery with liquid nitrogen, remove the mass, cauterize it, inject it with some steroids, you know, really took advantage, look at her mouth and you know, use the, the jack to open the uh, the mouth, look at her um, teeth, took samples, do a full exam, walk her up, and yeah, the result. You know, before we talked, I thought that, and I still think that one of the biggest challenges of your job is that you have to deal with basically every kind of animal there is. But now it seems like maybe that's that's what you would you be bored if if all you did were, were one animal day in day out so i think for me i don't know if i would be bored i did small animal medicine in mexico city i work at the zoo at city in the morning and then i would go into work into a small animal clinic i did that for three years it wasn't boring we had very cool cases but i think for me i do need sometimes to get out i do need to feel the texture of the skin of an elephant or, you know, another animal. It's just for me, um, I just need a constant um, challenge, the constant change, you know, the constant, sometimes I even think like, how long am I going to stay in this zoo? Not this zoo, but, you know, in a job because, you know, I... I have working for zoos and I love them, all of them, but they're like, they, they offer me something different. And I came here, I had never worked with sea otters, which are phenomenal, right? And I love the, the, the challenge to work with them. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm settled now saying, you know, I love this place. I love the collection. I love the city. Oregon is beautiful. I can I see myself here and I still get the challenge every day. Thank you very much. It was great to My meet pleasure. you. My pleasure, same. That's Carlos Sanchez. He is the head veterinarian at the Oregon Zoo. You can see some pictures from our time with Dr. Carlos on our website, opb.org slash thinkoutloud. 
Special thanks to Hova Nigerian, who arranged our visit. Today's show was produced by Shiraz Sadiq. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on NPR's app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Michael, Kristen, Andrew Kern, and Anna Sanford. Thank you.